Welcome to the April 19th, 2022 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lane, Annals Editor-in-Chief, with a quick overview of the new material you'll find on annals.org. There's been an explosion of interest in the role of sodium glucose cotransporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitors, in the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and questions have emerged about whether this class of drugs might also offer cardiovascular benefit to persons who do not have diabetes. The first article I'll highlight is a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials that found that SGLT2 inhibitors reduce hospitalizations and may reduce cardiovascular deaths among people experiencing heart failure, regardless of the presence of diabetes. These findings support existing guidelines that recommend SGLT2 inhibitors for preventing incident and worsening heart failure in people with type 2 diabetes, heart failure, or both. Many heart failure patients do not receive optimal therapy until they present to a hospital with exacerbations, and patients who receive a diagnosis in the hospital have a twofold increased risk of death and recurring hospitalization. Previous randomized trials have shown that SGLT2 inhibitors reduce the risk of hospitalization for heart failure and cardiovascular death for people with diabetes. Other studies suggest that these benefits may extend to patients with heart failure but without diabetes. Researchers from Sichuan University in Chengdu, China, conducted a systematic review and analysis of eight randomized controlled trials, including over 15,000 participants, that investigated SGLT2 inhibitors to summarize evidence about the effect of these medications in patients with heart failure, regardless of the presence of type 2 diabetes. The authors found that in patients with heart failure, both those with preserved and those with reduced ejection fraction, and regardless of the presence of diabetes, SGLT2 inhibitors demonstrated relative benefits in reducing hospitalizations for heart failure and cardiovascular death with a high to moderate certainty. However, the authors warned that these reductions were associated with increasing rates of genital infections. They say the amount of potential benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors is determined by both the relative benefit for heart failure hospitalizations and the patient's baseline risk and the relative benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors for reducing heart failure hospitalizations may be greatest within the first year and may attenuate at later times. Next is the latest Annals Beyond the Guidelines Grand Rounds. All Beyond the Guidelines Grand Rounds are based on the Department of Medicine Grand Rounds at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and include print, video, and educational components. This one features two hematologists discussing the treatment of acute and chronic pain in a patient with sickle cell disease. An estimated 100,000 people in the United States have sickle cell disease. Patients with sickle cell disease can experience frequent, debilitating, and very painful vasoocclusive crises due to sickle cell-induced ischemia. To combat the severity of these crises, sickle cell disease patients are prescribed NSAIDs, tricyclic antidepressants, serotonin, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and oral opioids. While data on adverse effects are limited for patients with sickle cell disease, death from opioid overdose appears to be rare. The updated guidelines from the American Society of Hematology suggest the use of ketamine infusion as an adjunctive treatment for acute pain in the hospital that is refractory or not effectively treated with opioids alone. The guidelines also suggest that for adults with emerging or recently developed chronic pain, chronic opioid therapy should not be used unless pain is refractory to multiple other treatment modalities. Grand Rounds discussants Dr. Maureen Okam Achibi and Dr. Wally Smith debated the appropriate care for a 34-year-old man with sickle cell disease experiencing 
acute and chronic pain, but has used opioids long-term to manage his symptoms. In their assessment, Dr. Sachidi and Smith disagree about treatment plans for the acute and long-term pain management in this patient. Dr. Achibi would recommend ketamine infusion for his acute pain, citing evidence of both lowered pain scores and reduced opioid use. She would also have attempted to delay or entirely avoid initiation of long-term opioid therapy for his chronic pain, citing the high rate of adverse effects associated with long-term opioid use. She would also recommend a discontinuation of long-term opioid therapy for patients not experiencing sustained and clinically meaningful improvements. Dr. Smith would not start ketamine infusions, partially because of limited evidence supporting its use and the possibility of bothersome side effects. For the patient's chronic pain, he would recommend the use of long-term opioids because they may reduce vasoocclusive crises, which are associated with reduced survival. Dr. Smith also favors continuing long-term opioid therapy for this patient as long as the drugs remain safe and effective, particularly considering the absence of universally effective and safe non-opioid pharmacologic alternatives. Next is a commentary that advocates for including lung cancer screening in the HEDIS measures. The HEDIS data sets developed and reported by the National Committee for Quality Assurance are intended to provide both purchasers and healthcare consumers with the necessary information to make important comparisons in health plan performance. Public reporting of HEDIS measures promotes transparency, creates accountability, and drives priorities in healthcare delivery. Current HEDIS prevention and screening measures for 2020 included assessment of breast and cervical cancer screening in women and colorectal cancer screening across all populations for persons 50 years of age and older. However, screening for lung cancer, which is one of the most common causes of cancer deaths in the U.S., is not included. The authors believe that it should be. The April in the Clinic Review is on community-acquired pneumonia. Go to it for a practical overview of the diagnosis and treatment of this very common condition. Treatment for erectile dysfunction is high and increasing in demand, even among patients continuously prescribed nitrates for whom PDE5 inhibitors are contraindicated. Previous laboratory studies have observed that patients administered both medications experience a significant drop in blood pressure, which could cause hypoperfusion and severe cardiovascular adverse events. However, these adverse events have not been systematically studied in real-world settings. In the study reported in the next article, researchers analyzed data from Denmark's health registries to observe temporal trends in the co-prescription of nitrates and PDE5 inhibitors to measure the association between co-prescription of these two medications and cardiovascular outcomes. Among 42,073 men in Denmark with ischemic heart disease who were filling prescriptions for both nitrates and PDE5 inhibitors, the authors did not find an association between the prescription of both medications and adverse effects. This was despite the fact that the frequency of taking these medications together increased 20-fold between the year 2000 and 2018. The researchers proposed that a possible explanation for this lack of evidence of adverse events is that doctors are advising patients to take the two drugs at different times of the day, and patients are following this advice. However, the authors do not recommend co-prescription of these medications for all patients. They also express concern for those who may obtain PDE5 inhibitors from sources other than their physicians and thus not receive appropriate cautions. Next is the report of a randomized controlled trial that found that early surgery does not appear to reduce negative outcomes in otherwise healthy patients with primary hyperparathyroidism due to benign parathyroid tumors and small increases in calcium levels. 
Over a decade of follow-up, the researchers observed no evidence of adverse effects with respect to fractures, cancer, cardiovascular and cerebrovascular events, or renal outcomes. Parathyroid glands control the level of calcium in the blood, but can grow benign tumors that can cause calcium levels to become too high, causing muscle weakness, fatigue, bone pain, nausea, confusion, and increased thirst. Chronic high calcium levels are associated with bone fractures, kidney and heart complications, and early mortality. Surgery is required for severe cases, but it is unknown if surgical interventions prevent adverse outcomes if they are performed in response to small increases in calcium levels. Patients in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark with benign parathyroid tumors and small increases in calcium levels who were otherwise healthy were randomly assigned to receive either early parathyroidectomy or observation with no intervention. Over 10 years of monitoring, the authors found that the overall mortality rate was 7.6% and did not differ between the two groups. The authors reported that during the extended observation period, mortality rose to 23%, but also did not differ for those who had surgery and those who did not. An editorial by the authors from the University of Auckland argued that the results of the study provide a strong rationale for non-operative treatment of mild primary parathyroidism. The editorials also suggest that surgery should instead be offered to patients who are younger and may have more severe disease, patients with high calcium levels, and patients with a recent history of kidney stones. Genomic tests expand diagnostic and screening opportunities, but also identify genetic variants of uncertain clinical significance, requiring patients and clinicians to deal with uncertainty about the clinical meaning of these variants of uncertain significance. Although a minority of variants of uncertain significance will prove to be pathogenic when later reassessed, the uncertainty adds complexity to clinical decision-making and can result in harms and costs to patients in the healthcare system, including the time-consuming analysis required to evaluate a variant of unknown significance and the potential for unnecessary treatment and adverse psychological effects. Current efforts to improve variant interpretation will help to reduce the scope of the problem, but the high prevalence of rare and novel variants in the human genome points to variants of uncertain significance as an ongoing challenge. Additional strategies can help to mitigate the potential harms of variants of uncertain significance, including protocols that limit reporting or identification of these variants, routine family-based variant evaluation, and enhanced educational efforts. All involved trade-offs and the appropriate balance of measures is likely to vary for different tests and in clinical settings. All of these issues are discussed in a new review published on annals.org. In January 2022, billionaire and Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban launched the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, selling more than 100 generic prescription drugs online, some at substantially lower than average market prices. A new commentary discusses that while this is not the first market-based startup to try to improve affordability of generic medications, its emergence highlights failures within the generic drug market that merit the attention of federal legislators in the U.S. to ensure that all patients have access to low-cost generic drugs. Also new at the latest Annals Consult Guys episode, this episode discusses evaluation of post-operative bruising in two new Annals on Call episodes, one on diverticulitis and one on changes in evaluation and management coding. There are also new humanities pieces and the latest Annals for Hospitalist summary. That's all for this podcast. I hope I've piqued your interest and you will go to annals.org for some of the new articles, videos, and podcasts that I've mentioned here. Stay well and please return in two weeks for our next podcast. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson and Andrew Langman for their technical support.